Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Muller. Hi there, and welcome back to my returning listeners. Dr. Colleen Mullen here, licensed marriage and family therapist, and your host of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, bringing you what you need to succeed. I bring you weekly interviews with guest experts each week, which will inspire, motivate, and empower you when you need it. We're building this as an online resource database, which includes our blog post with links to resources on each week's topic and guest. We as a country are coming off a week in which there was yet another tragic school campus massacre. So many people struggle emotionally at times and don't know where to get help or how to get help. I wanted to talk a bit about what people have been trying to do behind the scenes to prevent school shootings, where we are now as far as legislation, and what needs to happen to change this. We live in a society in which hearing about murders on school campuses 40 times just this year is outrageous on one hand and numbing on the other. 40 times just this year in the United States Both kids and adults went to their school campus to never return home. My stomach hurts just saying that. It's also number 142 just since December 2012 when the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School happened. That equates to about one shooting a week. So that doesn't even include the number since what we know is the original modern-day mass shooting at a school, the Columbine Massacre of 1999. And although Columbine marked the beginning of what we are coming to know now as weekly occurrences, it was not the first in the history of school shootings. We as a society can do things to stop this. I'll give a few insights as to that, but first I should put my knowledge of the subject in context for you. I spent three years working as part of a development team of what we hope to become a school violence prevention institute here in San Diego. I became sort of the historian of the project. I looked for what we knew of the shooters before and after they committed the act, the circumstances of the shooting, and what the fallout was afterwards in their community. For as much as there have been shootings on school campuses prior to Columbine, that tragedy in 1999 formed the new MO of what has continued since. So we studied all the shootings between 1999 and 2011 when we completed the book. In all cases where the shooter was a current student, we know five things. Number one, There was concerning behavior that was not coordinated by school personnel. For example, a security guard didn't talk to a teacher, or a teacher didn't tell another teacher, or didn't tell a school administrator when something had happened, and so two different people had concerning issues about the student, but nobody knew that the other one knew. Number two, there were social media postings, writings, or videos that spoke of the killing or targeting of specific groups of students. Number three, there were easy access to guns. Number four, there was suspicion of or documented mental health concerns. And number five, there was a history of bullying and or social isolation. 
We worked on and developed the school violence prevention program as a book which school personnel could be trained on. We, as a team of clinicians and other interested parties, conducted research and data collection and took what our team leader, Dr. Jim Madero, already knew from being an expert in workplace violence prevention and developed a community-based team approach to preventing school violence. Our team leader did present it at the Virginia Tech hearings where it got favorable feedback. Back here in San Diego, we shopped it around at a few school districts and even did get it implemented in a school district as a pilot trial. The problem was that although the schools wanted it, they didn't have the funding to bring in the trainers or to take the time away from their own staff to train them. The team's dream was to get legislation passed to get the state to mandate that schools have violence prevention programs in place. And that's where it all fell apart. After an unsuccessful meeting with a legal advisor in L.A., and no legitimate supporters that could help back the implementation of the program, we've been at a standstill since 2012. Now, we're just one group of professionals out here in Southern California. I would venture to guess that there are dozens of teams around the country, like us, developing programs. We need a way to get these programs implemented and school personnel trained. If anyone is listening who may be able to help that come to fruition, you can email me, Dr. Mullen at coachingthroughchaos.com, and I'll put you in contact with our project manager to help us take action. Okay, so let's get to the next question. What can our society do to work towards prevention? Well, we need reformation in several areas. The systems in the U.S. are broken. There are financial, communication, and internal breakdowns. Number one, our mental health system broke in a way that it has never recovered in 1993 when it was systematically unfunded and our long-term mental health facilities were forced to close. These people still needed care and structure, and our mental health system has been paying the price for that since then. Here we are over 20 years later, and it seems new funding gets put into street-based programs to care for these people, leaving very little room for the average high school student who's depressed or feeling socially isolated and ostracized because they've been bullied. We need to have funding for programs for those kinds of kids. And the second system we need to reform is our healthcare system. Now, lots of people are talking about that these days. And although I personally like my healthcare coverage, I am not in need of what's called a higher level of care, meaning more than once a week therapy. Our system is set up to deny services to people unless they are already in crisis. What happens is they get hospitalized and then step down. The problem is that when we identify someone in need of more intensive outpatient services, The denials come because they are not in that level of crisis that puts them in the hospital to work down. They don't find it easy to put people from once-a-week therapy into multiple-week intensive outpatient programs unless usually there's been a crisis incident. So why do we have a system that is designed only to treat when there is a crisis? Why would the insurance companies not look at what can be done to prevent the crisis from happening? That's where I see that reform needs to take place. And then we have the educational system. Of course, having a good, consistent educational system will benefit our next generation, but first and foremost, they need to be safe. It is only when people are safe that they can settle in, focus, and thrive. As I stated earlier, the way to get safety in place is to provide further funding for the schools to implement safety programs that are community and team-based so that there are very little pieces of the puzzles missed in the future. And the last system I'll discuss, and the one I think holds the most power, is that of the media. Now, I believe the media can be our best friend and our worst enemy. In the event of major tragedies, the media can be quick to relay necessary information to help people comprehend what is happening. 
On the other hand, they can also give the recognition to these mass murderers that they so crave. Our mass murderers end up living on in infamy because our news media names them and then picks over and publicizes every aspect of their life they can find. This needs to stop. And then we, as a society, need to speak up. Long before the days of the internet and social media, we have the story of Kitty Genovese, which is taught in almost every intro to psych class in the country. In 1964, Kitty was murdered in the early morning as she returned home from work. She was stabbed to death in the street. The story was that upwards of 30 people either heard or saw her. For as much as there were a couple of phone calls to the police, the majority of people did not take action. This idea that many people can observe something troubling happening and not take action is called the bystander effect. We think someone else will call it in. Well, I want to put a challenge out to everyone listening and say, don't let someone else call it in. Advocate to your insurance company when denials are rendered. Don't watch the continued coverage of the shooter. Talk to your school districts and universities and find out what their safety protocols are and talk to your local and state-level politicians. Find out what they're doing to get mandated school violence prevention programs into our schools. Where are we now as far as legislation goes? From what I can tell, Massachusetts is voting to mandate school violence programs to be implemented in its schools. And Virginia mandates their state schools have prevention programs implemented in them. And then Ontario, Canada has mandated their schools have violence prevention programs. So that is a start, but we have definitely a long road ahead of us. We have systems that are failing. We need systems in place that are designed to protect our kids at school. We need school violence prevention programs in addition to active shooter protocols. We need media outlets to stop giving these mass murderers names. And we need a healthcare system designed to prevent mental health tragedies rather than treating the trauma that happens to our communities when they don't. I personally hope that we start seeing a movement towards positive change resiliency, and victory over these tragedies so that they become a part of our history and not part of our continued future. We're at the end of another episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Next week, I'll be interviewing well-known podcaster and entrepreneur Eric Zimmer, host of The One You Feed, which was a top podcast of 2014 on iTunes and voted the number one health podcast on the Huffington Post. Eric has a story of resiliency in his life that he wants to share with you. Please come back and check that out. As always, I want to thank Dr. B for my audio engineering and BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. If you want to follow me between episodes, you can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. And remember, if you want to keep up to date on all that we have going on here between the podcast, guest blogs, appearances on other shows, and private practice happenings, sign up for my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcast. As a thank you for signing up, I'll send you my ebook for free. It's five ways, 100 tips for living a happier, healthier life. Alrighty then, I hope you have a great and very safe week. And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care. Mm-hmm.